0: So Gordon Ramsay goes on another rampage. What a guy. But this time he's contained. The contestants on yet another, another cookery show have to create a menu for five to seven-year-olds for a party. And so he gets the team in. And he looks them in the eye. Of course he does. He's not scared one bit, is he, Gordon Ramsay? So he looks them in the eye. Fantastic presentation. Do you know the packaging is super. You've worked hard at that. The ideas are stunning. Well done. But what on earth were you thinking adding cabbage to that wrap? Cabbage that was sticking out of the top of the wrap. Do you think that the children will have been delighted by that? That addition has made the whole thing a flop, says Gordon Ramsay. And he was contained because there's children in the audience. You know what it would have said otherwise. See, here's the principle in a weird, illogical maths sum. Here's what we'll learn today. That addition equals subtraction. It's not logical. But Paul is saying here, if you're going to add anything about identity, conformity, maturity, experiences, if those things are being sold as prerequisites to acceptance to God, if those additions are being added, then that equals subtraction. Addition equals subtraction. Here's the headline today, complete freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. But that's not license to do what you want or to do what's unhelpful for others. Quite like the book of Acts. I like that we're back in the book of Acts because we only got halfway through. And you'll have seen uh, if you've been following exactly where we're at. You'll know the big themes of Acts, but if you don't, let me just fill you in very quickly. Salvation is coming. Do you remember Acts 1 verse 8, the memory verse? Uh, Good old Katy Perry, if you didn't know it was Katy Perry, that was the memory verse from last week. Um, And where does the gospel go? Well, it starts in Jerusalem and it goes to Judea. And look, it goes to Samaria and then it goes to the ends of the earth. The salvation of God is coming. And it comes through the message of the apostles. It's very simple. The apostles take the gospel of God to those places. And the gospel is the power that brings salvation. People's lives are being turned upside down. Do you remember the Ethiopian back in the first series? Do you remember Paul who was once Saul who was persecuting the church? Lives are being turned upside down by the gospel. Salvation is coming. Big theme in the book of Acts. Second big thing, the church is growing. There are markers throughout Acts. It's dynamic. It's action-packed. There's growth in Acts 2 verse 41. 3,000 people were added. In Acts 4 verse 4, 5,000 people were added. Acts 9 verse 31 says this, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and we strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. The church is growing. And here's the third big theme, that God's word is moving. This is how the gospel is going out. This is how salvation is coming. This is how the church is growing, because God's word is moving. Acts 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. There's the marker. There's the connection. It's God's word that's making all of this possible. And so, Si left us last week in Acts 14. And at the end of Acts 14, verse 26, let me read from Italia They sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. This is Paul and his companions in his first missionary journey. Verse 27. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. This is Mission Unstoppable. The first missionary journey of Paul is complete. And we see the unstoppable gospel moving forward. It's unstoppable. But do you know when the gospel is taught faithfully, when there's a gospel presence in a community, do you know what will happen? There's always opposition. Opposition. There's always things that come up against the gospel. And here we see an issue has to be dealt with. An issue has to be worked out. It calls for a trip to Jerusalem, 300 miles, Antioch to Jerusalem. This is how serious the issue is. And it's a big enough issue, of course, for Luke, who's talking about this dynamic spread of the gospel. From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the age, he stops and he stalls. And we have a whole section of theory, of conversation, of counsel. This is a big deal. Three points that we'll have a look at. First point the gospel threatened by addition. Verses 1 to 5. Look at Acts 15. Verse 1, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So what's the complaint? What is it? Unless, here's the word unless, unless, unless. So unless This happens. Unless the ceremonial law of Moses through circumcision has been followed, unless these outsiders to the gospel do something, unless this happens, then salvation does not come, is what the threat is. There must be outward signs of conversion say these certain people. Look, actually, these Gentiles who are becoming Christians, no, it's not that they can just become Christians. They've got to become Jews first. That's what certain people are saying. Here's the threat and there's sharp dispute and debate. It's a big issue. Paul and Barnabas are appointed to head to Jerusalem to see the apostles And elders at the council, picture what you want, perhaps a boardroom with a long table, perhaps a school hall a little bit like this with chairs set out accordingly, perhaps like the Council of Elrond in Lord of the Rings, a circular formation of chairs. Picture what you want is a gathering of all those important people, elders and apostles back in Jerusalem. And so Paul and Barnabas, they go. Look at verse five. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So certain people have said it in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem and here they're met at the council. Some people, those who belong to the party of the Pharisees, they stand up and say the same thing. Look, the gospel can't just... Go to the Gentiles and the Gentiles just accept it and become Christians. No, that's far too easy. They must. See that word must. They have to be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So in other words, Moses must top up what Jesus has started. It is the gospel going to the world. And so it's not that, the, that those from the group of the Pharisees or, the, or those of the Christians, it's not that they don't believe or trust in Jesus. They do, but Moses must top up what Jesus has started. We know that circumcision was a badge of acceptance. If you don't know what circumcision is, it's worth looking up on Google. I'm not going into any depth here, but it is worth looking up. Because it's a a mark, it's a mark of acceptance and it's a mark of security and it's a mark of identity as God's chosen people and it marked out a man also for for sincerity and, and therefore maturity and growth, he's serious as a Jew, as one of God's people. But you see, the Gentiles have none of these. In fact, they're involved in pagan living, in ultimate immorality and idolatry is is just part of their livelihood. See, the gospel has come to these people steeped in pagan practice. And these Jewish Christians are saying, surely they need more than a message. And don't we understand the Pharisees' thrust here? Don't you sometimes feel yourself doing it? I'm not on the same issue, of course, but thinking, is this all? Like, is this all I have to do? I just have to trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins to be accepted? Isn't there more than this? Isn't there stuff that I have to do in order to earn God's favour? And it's not that that's not well-meaning. It, it, it is well-meaning. You, you want to try and understand if you're missing out or if you've really got it right. Is it that simple? Is it as simple as Jesus loves me, this I know? For the Bible tells me so. Is that it? Isn't it more sophisticated? Well, it's the issue... That's always accompanied the gospel through the ages of time. No, say the history books. Do you know what you've got to do to really be saved? You must be involved in a good local church. To really be saved, you must be involved in a good local church. Do you know to really be saved, you, you must be confirmed... Or, or you must get baptised. Or, or in some circles, no, no, you, you must become a vegetarian, really, to be saved. Do you know you must have those kind of spiritual experience to be really saved? To make sure that, that you are actually one of God's children. I remember growing up in the 90s, not that long ago, according to me. The Toronto blessing was a big thing. Ever heard of that? It was an experience that you needed, that marked you out, kind of a charismatic experience and mainly speaking in tongues. You, you needed to speak in tongues in order to be a Christian, in order to qualify as one of God's children. And it was often well-meaning, but it was adding to the gospel. It was limiting the freedom that the gospel brings so I wonder if you know this dear Christian today and if you're not a Christian I wonder if I wonder if you grasp this today it's not what you do that makes you a Christian I know you know that if you've been a Christian many years if you haven't had a quiet time in weeks do you know you're not disqualified from God's love you get that don't you If you're a little too nervous to get baptised, think I really should do it. Do you know that doesn't disqualify you from being a Christian? Do you you know that? You get that? Do you know if today you don't feel spiritual at all? Perhaps you haven't done for weeks or even months or even years. Do you know that that does not disqualify you from being a Christian today? Do, Do you get that? Please get that. It's not on the basis of what you do or what you've done or what you haven't done. On how you're feeling. It's on the basis of the gospel and the gospel alone. And you saying, I trust the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of my sins, I trust. Look, there it is. The gospel is threatened by addition. But here's... The answer, we see where the council get to, this: the gospel alone, not alongside. It's the gospel alone, not alongside. Salvation is Jesus alone. It's grace alone by faith alone. It's all God's work, not yours through the law, through the action of circumcision. Peter gets up and he addresses them. Look, Let's read a little bit from verse 7 through to 11. Here's what Peter says. In response to those Christians from uh, the Pharisaical group, he says, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. You see, now God accepts the Gentiles. He welcomes them into his family. It's by God's word. It's not by circumcision. He gives them the Holy Spirit. He purifies their hearts and gives them a new master. Like he does for every believer. He must do that for the Jew and for the Gentile. You can't get closer to God than having God in you. Do you see? The Holy Spirit has purified the heart. He now lives within the believer. You can't be closer to God from following a ritual did they have to keep heavy regulations? No. Look at verse 10. We, we, we saw that the law is a heavy burden. Doesn't, doesn't mean that the, the law is not good in and of itself. But when it comes to salvation, it's a yoke. No one can bear it. Of course, you can't get to God through following the law. No one, no one can. Stop adding to the gospel. Don't do it. It's an emphatic no. Do you see that? No. Nothing but the gospel of grace saves us. No rules, no rituals, no experiences, no observations. And I have to ask, I must ask, where do you slip over into thinking the gospel needs your additions to be saved? Or to remain saved? Where do you go in your mind? What is this? look like for you? And are we in danger of putting up barriers for our friends who don't know Jesus? It's the gospel is a wonderful gift, wonderful gift of grace. Let me illustrate. I think our most recent members at Town Church are uh, the, the Davies, but I can't see them. Are they both out? Rachel? And Johnny, they're both out. So I'm going to pick Pete Cockram. You can do this. Pete Cockram's uh, he's a faithful member uh, of Town church, but imagine if you were Johnny Davis uh, and you'd just come to Town church uh, as a member. And I wanted to give you a gift. Uh, so here it is.: Here's a gift Unwrap wrap it. Pete Thank you very much. It's yours. yours yeah do please do please do it's yours Wow. yeah quite look hold it up so people can see quite an expensive bottle of uh, champagne welcome to church as the newest member uh, of church uh, and um and look give it back to me after the uh, the gathering but 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 no do you know what i, I will give it you I will give it to you as long as you sign up for the crash rotor. All right? <laughs> the the rotor, the killer rotor of all rotors, right? The crash rotor everyone moans about. The, no, no no one moans, but everyone's like, "Oh, it's my night, it's my uh, week for crash." Pete, you can have that bottle. Uh, give it to me after, but I'll come round to your house. Um, I will uh, afterwards as long as you sign up to the crash rotor. See, the moment, the moment, the moment I make a condition around the gift, the moment I do that, it's no longer a gift. You see, it makes the gift an achievement. And that's so dangerous when it comes to the gospel. Look, if you ever hear the elders, anyone that teaches God's word up here at the front, ever put in a condition on the gospel, On your relationship between you and God. If there's ever a condition on that for what you have to do or what you have to become or what you have to behave like in order to be accepted by God, then we are in danger of adding to the gospel. Do you see that? We must always keep this in mind. Any kind of words that say you must or you should when it comes to following Jesus are in danger of adding conditions and supplements to your faith. You're a Christian because God loves you through Christ. See so is Jesus alone always. By grace alone, through faith alone. And that is liberating, isn't it? Isn't that freeing? Isn't that wonderful? Think of the things that you've done this week. And you go, oh, oh, no, am I really a Christian? How can I possibly be a Christian if I do that or think like that or say those things or treat my husband like that or my wife with those words? How can I be a Christian? Well, thank God it's not on your performance. It's on his, only on his. Isn't it freeing? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it grace? Remarkable and wonderful grace. Okay, final section. The gospel enables change for good. This gospel is freeing, it's not conditional, it liberates. There's a wonderfully liberating knowing that there's nothing that must be done or achieved to be accepted. So I'm free to do whatever I want the famous line from the Oasis classic, free to do whatever I want. Am I? Am I really? Are we free to do whatever we want? Can freedom ever contain limitations? And the answer's yes. Nothing that I've got to do to be accepted by God. I'm totally free I'm free now. I'm I'm free as a man who's been unshackled from the chains of sin. However, freedom contains limitations. Look at James' response. And the letter goes back uh, to the believers in Antioch. The whole assembly became silent in verse 12. And we see that James, uh, he says, well, look the gospel is for all of mankind. He quotes Amos in the Old Testament. It's for the Jews and for the Gentiles. Then in verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. You are free to do what you want. There's freedom in Christ. And then look at verse 20. Instead, we should write to them, Telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. What is James doing? Why does James include this list? Surely we're free to do whatever we want. Now freedom has come through Christ. Surely there's no conditions on a Christian now to behave in a certain way. No, not quite. You see, why does James include this list? Well, they could be forms of Gentile pagan behaviour. Or they are, sorry. And best given up for the sake of the fellowship. These specific things. But why does he add sexual immorality? Surely surely that, that cannot be up for grabs, can it? That's not kind of optional. It's more likely that these activities are part of pagan temple activities. Those things that the Gentiles practice, part of this pagan activity that's not appropriate for Christian living. And leaving this behind, Gentile Christians, it would ensure the integrity of your profession and would ensure the fellowship between Gentiles and Jews. Is this Behaviour before belief? No. The James and the apostles aren't saying, they've got to stop these things before they are accepted, before they're accepted by God. No, no, no. No, but, but, but as a response to the freedom that now they have, this will show that they're, that they're genuine. Genuine. That it's appropriate to Christian living. Leaving this behind would ensure integrity. And there would be fellowship between the Gentiles and the Jews. Think of the ways that we do this. I know I do this all the time. I put behaviour before belief. So I think about this with my friends that don't know Jesus. And I think "Oh, they've got to, they've really got to sort their sexual life out before they believe in Jesus. They've really got to sort out those relationships. They've got to sort their finances out before they believe in Jesus. They've they've got to show some kind of commitment before they become Christians. And you see, the apostles are not saying that. It's not behaviour before belief. No, it's belief and then look what suitable behaviour looks like. And look what helps others complete freedom in Christ. But that's not licensed to do what you want or what's unhelpful for others. And then look at the end of our chapter, well, the, the beginning of 16, the end of our passage this afternoon. Paul says, do you know what? I'm going to limit my freedom. I, I, in a sense, I'm going to limit the freedom of Timothy for the sake of, of others. Look, let's read quickly, make a couple of comments and then wrap up. 16 verse 1, Paul came to Derby, then to Lystra. There's, there's been a, a bit of an upheaval. We read that at the end of Acts 15. And so Paul, uh, he goes with Silas, off he goes. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Paul has Timothy circumcised. Why? Must Timothy be circumcised to be accepted by God? Isn't this the issue that's just come up? The Gentile Christians, they need to be circumcised, to be accepted by God. What is Paul doing? Has he fallen into the same trap? No, he hasn't. He's totally consistent. But but he gets Timothy circumcised because it might help the advancement of the gospel. It might really help. John Stott says this, there is deep consistency in Paul's thought and action. Once the principle has been established that circumcision was not necessary for salvation, he was ready to take concessions in policy. That was unnecessary for acceptance. What was unnecessary for acceptance with God was advisable for acceptance by some human beings. So think of that for us. What things... Could we change to help the advancement of the gospel? We know that we don't have to do things in order to be accepted by God to be a Christian. But it's worth thinking about views of correctness or, or certain doctrines that we're, we're so sold on. What if our view on those things that we're so certain we're right on, what if they caused a bit of disunity within the church? Would we give up that? that view or hold so tightly to it for the advancement of the gospel? What about the way that I behave, perhaps even around alcohol? What if that caused a younger Christian to fall? Is there a limit on how many pints I have as a Christian to be a Christian? No, of course there's not. But what's going to be helpful for those around me for the advancement of the cause of the gospel? See, the Holy Spirit lives within you. I don't need to do anything. I don't need anything extra. But the gospel enables me to think differently, to act differently. It enables me to sacrifice and serve others. And in so doing, advance the gospel. Complete freedom in Christ, but it's not license. To do what you want, or what's unhelpful for others. Verse 5: this churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. I hope as a church we start grappling with these things. You're a Christian on the basis of what you trust in. But what can you leave behind? But. What can you adopt or think through or or act differently within for the advancement of the gospel? What must you sacrifice even so that others around you, even at town church, might see and learn and grow in their maturity in Christ because of your actions? Not because you have to to be accepted, but because the advancement of the gospel, the gospel going out to those who don't believe and the maturity of the believers in town church is really key and crucial to us here. What might that look like for you? We're going to ask a couple of those questions in a moment, but we're going to sing first. So let's.